Hello and welcome to the Book Forge. I'm Millie Hill and I'm working on my fourth non-fiction book and sharing the process with you from the initial proposal all the way to publication and beyond. As I research the book I'll be talking to a variety of book authors, writers and experts on women's health. This podcast is part of my substack, The Book Forge, where you can subscribe and follow my research and writing progress. This week, our focus is on mental health and the impact of being bullied as an adult, as I talk to dancer and choreographer Rosie Kay. Rosie was forced to resign from the company she founded after dancers complained to her board about comments she had made regarding the reality of biological sex. Rosie has fought back and started a new company, K2Co, whose vision is to be the foremost female-led dance company in the UK. You can donate to K2Co via the link in the show notes. So hi, Rosie. Hello. Hi, Millie. How are you? I'm all right. I'm good. It's Friday night. Yay. I know. Yay. And only (laughs) four more weeks of school. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God, don't say that. I feel like they've only just gone back. (laughs) Yeah, it does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah. So this week, um, you know, in my fledgling podcast, um, I really wanted to talk to you because um, we've connected quite a bit over the past um, few months over, you know, things that have happened to us and things we have in common. And then I was thinking, oh, gosh, it's anti-bullying week. And, uh, you know, bullying, you know, my kids, what made me realise it was anti-bullying week is that my youngest kid had to wear odd socks to school on Monday. And I was thinking about bullying and about how, it's kind of a sort of, it's in my mind anyway, I kind of associate it with children and playground stuff. And yet being bullied as an adult is such a real thing and it has such a massive impact. So I just thought actually Rosie and I ought to talk about this and you've been kind enough to write this amazing post on my Substack, and uh, and I've written something too. So yeah, I just thought we could talk about bullying and I think it's interesting to be to be honest about it, because another thought that I've been having is that one of the things that you do when you've been bullied is you you tend not to talk about the negative impact of it, because in a way that's, you feel that that might be giving a victory. This is maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but I sometimes feel like that might be giving a victory to the people that did it. Like if you go out and say, I'm really upset and I'm struggling and I'm finding it hard, then you think they're going to enjoy that that must be why they did it that must be what they want so I'm not going to give them what they want I don't know how you feel about that but I find I think but in a way I also think it's really important that we talk about how it impacts us personally you know because maybe that's the key to kind of stopping it happening in some way yeah it's funny isn't it I I I did get bullied at school um and a little bit later on although I was born in Scotland we moved back to Scotland uh, when I was about 13 and I had quite a English accent and going into sort of Scottish it's, it's a good school but it's a comprehensive um you know I sort of first of all got picked on for my name and then I think you know I was quite a sort of quiet academic very serious about my dancing kind of girl and I drew the attention of uh, a gang of girls and then it's so for, it started off as sort of psychological and then and then it became more and more physical and it it was awful but in the end I had to fight back um and I think I had like a week off school afterwards I told my mum that I'd like the flu 
Um, and then I went back to school and, and it had it had settled down. Um, and then you do think, well, oh, that's 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 that hopefully that phase over with. But of course I went into like quite a um a female dominated but highly competitive um and and pretty female unsupportive um environment. And so I've come across it um a few times, a few times, both as a dancer and then once a little bit as a choreographer before, where I felt like a, a again it was a it was a female cast, uh, some element turned against me and it was it was it was was really shocking and it was quite terrifying. Um yeah, actually and I've just thought of another another time as well. So so I encountered a few bits, but but nothing compares to this. And what's different about now is that there is a climate that is definitely encouraging this behavior particularly to women and i think i think well we you know you you were so important for me early on um was when it's happening to you and on the magnitude of the scale it happens to us you because know, it's so public as well mm. and 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 your life's destroyed my livelihood was destroyed um that you think you're the you think it must be you that there is a sense of like this, you can't help but feel shame and guilt inside because you think I must have done something terrible to deserve this. But then when you hear the stories like from yourself, um, from Jester Walls, uh, I've spoken with Kathleen Scott and uh, other women that have been through these, uh, Jenny Lindsay, these houndings, you realise that there is um, a real pattern that goes on. And that, that helps me intellectualise it, but I guess, you know, it doesn't necessarily help you uh, always understand it emotionally because we kind of we react in different ways emotionally, especially if it has happened in when you're a child. It brings all those memories back again. Yeah, I had that same um, experience. I think of of feeling that shame as well, and I think it sort of taps into all those insecurities that probably everybody has. Of you know, am I a good person? You know, because all of us have you know you know problematic sides to our personalities or our natures, and you know. It's sort of uh, one uh, explanation I, I heard somebody make once is that this idea of unmasking. So it's like um, the bullies are doing this unmasking to you, um, or that's what they, they it's, that's not really what's happening, but that's how it feels. As if they're saying, um, this is Rosie Kay, you know, she looks like a professional woman. She looks like a nice person. She's got, she's, a, you know, successful and all of that. But underneath, we're going to show you who she really is. We're going to unmask her. And the sort of psychological process of that happening to you, you sort of feel like, in some way you feel like you have been exposed for this this terrible person that you actually always were underneath the surface. And none of that is real, but it does sort of feel like that, doesn't it? Such a fragility to, to, to the human existence, it's extraordinary. Yeah. And there's such, there's such a fragility to women's place in society. It's so recent. I mean, we're literally some of the first generations of women to, um, you know, own their own cars, own their own houses, have their own livelihoods, run their own businesses. You know, it, as a collective, you know, the, the, it's the first time a sort of group, as a group of us have sort of enjoyed the rights to education, to our own sex lives, you know, choose when to have our babies. And yet here we are where it should be and could be the peak of our careers. And yet somehow any woman, any woman that speaks out about 
what's happening to women's rights right now and the safeguarding of children is going to get this massive pile on. It's 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 really extraordinary, and you know people sort of compare it to the crucible, but but it's bigger than that because this isn't just like your town or your village or your small community or even just your profession. This is like can be like the whole country or worldwide. I mean, it can. It's it's sort of really like the the eyes may turn on you only for a minute, but 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 the shock of that compared to where you were and what you were doing has this like you know uh, echo of like uh, sort of waves of impact that carry on for I mean that's been my biggest shock is that the, the waves carry on for months and months afterwards. I wonder why people are so willing to believe um, the negativity about you as well like you know in my case being sort of you know quite prominent in, within as you were within dance I was quite prominent within the sort of world of maternity and birth and breastfeeding and everything you think People, do people really think that I was sort of successfully hiding this dark side of myself all this time and that underneath I was really this terrible fascist bigot? And why do, they, why do so many people sort of buy that idea that you are actually this awful person? That's weird as well, isn't it? Well, I've, I have tried to, I've tried to think about it. Like, like it, my profession is so sort of like... Um, hierarchical, you know, very much sort of success-based, very aesthetic, very visual. Um, and that actually could drive you completely mad. I mean, it, it nearly drove me mad a couple of times. Um, so in order to like really do the job that I wanted to do, I did become quite single-minded about it. And I tried to block out a lot of the, um, the stuff, the noise around it. And I would get so obsessed with like the subject matter I was looking at and the methodology and how I was doing it and the, the attention to detail, and the production and the touring and the management that I, I, I wondered if I just didn't, literally didn't network enough or something or didn't play the game. Like I was so focused on what it was I was doing. I kind of thought that would protect me, which is maybe naive, but it's also like a female way to cope with the pressure, I think of like being judged all the time and knowing that you're being judged all the time. So I think once it's kind of like, and I think that really annoys people. If you're really single-minded about something and you're clearly like obsessed by something, it's like they kind of want to pick away at you and destroy that focus, destroy that passion. Um, yeah. And they are literally taking something away from you. How dare you have that? I want a bit of that. But they don't know what it is you've got because what you've got is something that you found yourself, it's yours. Yeah. And is there a misogyny within that? I mean, you know, you talk so well about how, you know, this is the first time in history that women have had so much uh, sort of power and independence. And yet so many women are being sort of picked off um, from those places that they of, 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 of achievement. You know, it is to some extent it is um, prominent women who have who are achieving things, not necessarily um, financially, but just who people who are out there, women who are out there. Why is there something misogynistic in the way? we are so readily tearing them down? Well, there is a commonality. It really does seem with each of the women that I've met in this amazing <laughs> bonkers journey, it, each of them does really seem to have like a sense of their own integrity, like a sense of their own will and a sense of their own conscience. And I think are probably used to speaking out and speaking honestly. And, and, and it seems like we're the ones that, we may have even seen this coming and gone, oh God, I hope I don't get caught out or 
I better try and shut up. But there's also a bit inside of all of us that's just go, this is wrong. I think this is wrong. And actually I'm in a position, I thought we all maybe thought we were in a position to just to push back at, at it enough to say, well, hang on, this is really serious actually. I think why we're picked out and picked on so badly is that it's a deterrent to anyone else. Mm. It, we, we really act as deterrents and anyone that even comes near us or supports us can also be at risk of a cancellation as well. So it-, oh, it Yeah, I mean, that's 100% happened to me. People have been actively told, they haven't um, even had to guess it for themselves. They've been actively told, if you keep sharing, you know, um, posts by her or, you know, saying, you know, tagging her book or promoting her in any way, you're next, mate. Well, this is, I was going to talk about this. I'm like, like the trust <laughs> is so hard. And, and you know, every time you pop your head up, it's sort of like a, a test of everyone around you. And, you know, sometimes I really understand why they have to sort of back down or capitulate. And other times I really go, right, okay, actually you did have enough power to just say, no, not listening, you're not bullying me move on because they will back down if you've got the strength to say no stop it you will back down and I think other people I've seen that they don't have enough power to do that so I don't want to get them mixed up but it's um it's it's a it's a real test of people I think yeah definitely and I can understand how people do feel afraid I think particularly people who are employed um or, you know it depends on people's situations but that sort of threat of of being you know being attacked and losing your job or losing your livelihood of course is a massive thing but i think you're right that standing up you know if enough people just stood up and said this is wrong then they they wouldn't be able to do that would they but there's also something there's a rank breaking i think i think it's to do with um you know this this whole ideological situation that we're in um, I went to the wreath lecture with Chimamanda Adichie and she was talking about this and obviously I can't I begin to articulate it as well as she did but it's coming out at the end of this month I think her wreath lecture about um, freedom of speech and I think you know she was talking about how it seems to happen when somebody does something that sort of breaks rank it surprises it, it goes against the herd you know um, I see I actually see it the other way around I, I see it it's like it's like a way to weed out who, the independent thinkers mm. it, it's a it's a way to to see who does have their own morals and integrity and I, I even I almost thought the opposite I thought like possibly I'd been targeted because um my work had such a strong female perspective to it I mean I, I mean I really was sort of motoring under that kind of sort of slightly 90s misapprehension that you know I just wanted to be a choreographer not a female choreographer just, just a choreographer you know be treated the same um but actually all my work within it had something very specific to say about the female body and the female perspective and sex and stereotypes so this was all like and also androgyny and blurring of these boundaries. I mean, I, I I had all that in my work. So I think, I think I might have felt like I had a right to to push back on an ideology to say, I'm just mm. not. I'm literally just not buying it. It doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, was there a point when you when you realised um, I, I when you you realised you were at a fork in the road where you could keep quiet and not get yourself in trouble or say what you thought well I think I think I thought that my um board were more intelligent <laughs> yeah and of course 
Of course, the world's a slightly different place. I mean, halfway through my first investigation, the BBC Stonewall uh, podcast came out. And that was really helpful because I could sort of go to them with something, you know, BBC, like listen to, what was it, 14 hours of this, please, now, this instant, you know, because there was really this disconnect of like, we just don't really understand what you're saying. Because that that's what should have happened was the team around me should have understood should have understood the issues, they should have been aware of them, should have understood the basis of my work, they should have understood me and they should have protected me. And instead that was, for me, they, that was the adults in the room that really failed, really failed. Um, and and I'm, that's the bit that's really shocking and that feels like, that feels like the herd to me because they just were like more worried about reputation despite the fact that the company was my name. Um, and then I think more worried about their own reputations, their own personal, professional reputations. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that shocks me the most, obviously coming from a different world, is that, you know, the, the, a lot of the people who are, um, you know, have bullied me and have, have sort of cut, thrown me under the bus are involved so deeply in the material reality of being a woman. You know, people who are breastfeeding counsellors and doulas and midwives. I know. That is quite it, sort of hard to compute for me. Yeah, and 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 it's just, and it's funny, isn't it? Because I think that's where we really bond is like this just kind of connection to the body and um, not being able to escape or deny that, like 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 that being like a core part of our world yeah. and our jobs. Uh, much as you know, we might have suffered with our own body dysmorphias or, or, or whatever when we were growing up or particularly I think I can really go I can really relate to being a terribly uncomfortable teenage girl because I was dancing so much I, I didn't start my periods till really late and so my body sort of literally changed overnight mm. and I was I was horrified <laughs> it was horrifying to, to at that point then spend eight hours a day sometimes ten hours a day in the pair of leotards and tights looking at myself and you know that's again like something um that that never leaves never really leaves you but also you learn to live with and it's it's also one of those things is as you grow older as a woman and these amazing things happen like I never you know I always never really understood my breasts until I breastfed and then they're just the most miraculous things in the world aren't they it's just incredible yeah yeah it's um it's interesting um, how this, yeah, that you're right. There's this sort of visceral connection to our sex bodies that that we perhaps have overlaps with. But surely all women have that and can recognise that that is both a sort of source of power and uh, and also a place of um, vulnerability and and sometimes oppression. Well, I mean, I was sort of lucky enough that my 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 mum had. Was a radical feminist of the 70s and so sort of read her feminist collection stole them off her office uh, walls um and that was my sort of taste as a teenager reading reading like Jermaine Greer and even Andrea Dworkin and, and, and Simone, Simone de Beauvoir and, and then my mum recently she, she said she said but I knew that you were a feminist Rosie but you know, I was really horrified by you in the 90s. You, you'd go out wearing like, you know, a micro mini skirt. And I think I remember once wearing like a handkerchief, like it was a top, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I used to flash my boobs a lot in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it, like we, I mean, I would, I wouldn't have, I wasn't a ladette, but I, but I certainly had a, a like quite an arrogance about 
my body and my sexuality and my freedoms that for my mum she she really really disapproved of you know mm. so this is one of the the secular problems with the women's well with women's oppression actually is that every no matter what every generation of young women look at their mothers or the mothers aged women and go oh my god you're so out of touch and awful and disgusting <laughs> and we're sort of a bit shocked that it's happening to us but it's exactly yeah. the same thing but it's happening um i think masked it's masking a, a men's sexual rights movement actually and no matter how much we say that they're going to go oh look at you out of date unkind bigots oh <laughs> yeah gonna, no, no 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 we we really do see what's going on here like we are really calling the warning we're like ringing a bell here yeah no I 100% I mean the first time that I heard the idea of it being a men's rights movement I was really shocked I thought I don't understand that that's that what on earth but now it makes complete sense to me and actually it makes complete sense to me within the context of maternity as well weirdly because uh-huh. I, I see the, the world of maternity and breastfeeding as like um almost like a citadel that has to be captured um, in order for yeah. the mantra to be true. So you think you think that the inclusive language, the additive language, or however you want to describe it, so for example, women and birthing people, the, that sort of ideological language, you're told that that is to support um, trans men, so female people who are pregnant, okay? Well, obviously you would do that anyway if you were a nice person and you were you know, looking after someone who was a trans man who was pregnant, you would of course treat them with respect. But that the way that the the changing of it at population level is is more about getting. This is why people like me matter in a way because it's silly, you know not to, you know what I mean by matter, but it matters yeah, to do, the I movement. Do, you do matter. You, matter yeah. to the movement in the sense of they want to get people like me to say it's not just women who. Um, get pregnant it's not just women who have periods because that makes trans women are women true you have to uncouple women from uh, female biology the idea of woman from female biology in order for trans women and women to be true so that's it's the female biology it's the birth the breastfeeding the menstruation and sometimes the menopause that's kind of like a barrier to that being true so you have to capture that area in order for it to be true so the person you're really Um, serving when you say um, it's not just women who have babies, is men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it took me saying, ages to work that out, well, but when uh, I did, uh, I was like, that's, oh, yeah. That's really yeah. well put. I was trying to explain to a male friend that, because um, he was like, doing that thing of like, oh, but you don't want to be defined by your biology. And I was like, I don't want to be hijacked by my biology. Like, I don't want that to be the only thing that I am, but I also do not want to deny it in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Why do and they so we're kind say... of asked to make this choice. <laughs> yeah. But that point about not being wanting to be defined by your biology gets thrown at you, but then you get called a cervix owner or a, you know, menstruator <laughs> or whatever. So, hey, what is, none of it makes sense. But, but I, mean, I, mean, I mean, for me, I suppose looking at it from an artist's perspective is, is there's this mass decoupling of the identity from the body and and it's to dehumanize us it it is to sort of separate us into sort of homunculuses and these kind of you know brains and meat suits and and that's to alienate us and it's to sort of sell our bodies back to us 
mm. um, as separate disparate parts. And I, I've done a bit of work uh, around uh, the plastic surgery surgery industry and the, how it had built up in Brazil because um, one of the top plastic surgeons became a politician. There's an NHS system, and con he'd convinced the NHS system in Brazil that actually women needing like nose jobs or boob jobs was actually a factor of psychological health, and they and they could get it then on the NHS. The business boomed. And surgeons from the US and the UK would fly to Brazil and it would be like in three months, they'd get like three years work experience in the West. And so bringing all this technology back to the to Europe and the West. Um, and that was massive. And we all remember that movement of selling. Uh, I had friends that had boob jobs and all the rest of it. And I was quite horrified at, at that idea of femininity. I found that pretty scary. But then there was all these scandals around the silicon and everything. And so, um, like, excuse the pun, but the bottom fell out of the market. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was really, like, wiped out. And funnily enough, that's around the same time that the plastic surgeons started collaborating with the pharmaceutical injury uh, industry, started collaborating with, you know, th these, there's, it, there's more than just one thing going on with this industry. And it means more than just money. I, I'm sure it means more. it's something to do with dismantling it's something to do with dismantling women and women's bodies and women's rights. I really do think there's something bigger going on as well. How interesting. And and is it a coincidence that all of this is happening, as you pointed out earlier, at a time when, you know, feminism really does seem to be working and we did actually seem to be, you know, independent, strong, uh, you know, women who could do whatever we wanted with our lives, make whatever reproductive choices we wanted to make, for example. I mean, that's another area that's... yeah under threat isn't it is uh that's right yeah reproductive yeah. rights so it, it all one, seems one... to be coming at the same it's all part of a bigger pattern isn't it absolutely yeah yeah one thing i was i did want to sort of talk about with, with the bullying go back to the bullying thing because i've just been um speaking about courage and and using experience of training with the military and talking with the military about um sort of what do they fight for? And something that came up um, past couple of days was someone was talking about how, yeah, what it's like for people in Ukraine um, and that they have the shelling that's really horrific, but actually what's worse is the time in between the shelling mm. and that anticipation of like, when is the next shell gonna hit? And I remember speaking to soldiers that um, had come back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And Iraq particularly, in Basra, was hit very badly with very random shelling. And they said when they got home, a car backfiring, they'd be on the floor. Or one guy said uh, there'd been a loud bang. He hadn't even realised, but he'd woken up and he was in the bath um, because they just had to get somewhere like, like safe as possible, as quickly as possible. And I was thinking about like, okay, this is not the same. We have not been under a shelling, but they are like these attacks that, that come these sort of weeks and months afterwards. They do put you on a constant state, state uh, of, of horrific anticipation. Like what's going to be the next thing? What's going to be the next thing? And you're like chemically, your cortisol levels just, I don't know the difference between like calm and stress anymore. There's no, there's no differentiation. It's sort of like asleep or kind of okay or like massively stressed and I'm really gonna have to take some time to like recalibrate myself and while this isn't um an actual war 
you know, we say the war on women, but, but maybe there are similarities because this, this, this sense of anticipation and constant like um, hounding, that's a method of torture because it distracts you. It stops you thinking straight. Rosa uh, Raquel Zaria Sanchez talks about this. It stops her having an attention span and it makes you, it makes you jumpy. And I just wasn't that kind of person before. And I, I hate it. I don't like it. I don't want my present to be destroyed simply for stating that I believe women are real. That's just bonkers. Yeah, I mean, these it does follow you around like every life experience. I think at the time when it's happening, you sort of, you know, you're just trying to survive that, you know, experience in itself. But then the, the shock waves of it afterwards, are, I think it's always going to be part of your story, isn't it? Um, I think about that a lot at the moment. I sort of think, you know, that a bit like the pandemic and for me and you, I think both of them happened simultaneously. So, you know, that's, we're never going to be, we're never going to, that's never going to not be part of our history. Those, those two things, the pandemic and, and the bullying. And I think there is a sort of, sort of post-traumatic stress angle to it, yeah. isn't there? In terms of, the, especially the social media thing. As soon as I see anything now I, coming my way on social media, I sort of tense in my body and I think, oh my God, is this going to be another wave of it? I feel I can handle it. I know I can because I've proved to myself I'm still here and I've right. survived it. But at yeah. the same time, I feel, oh God, here we go again, sort of thing. And it's it's horrible. I suppose I comfort myself with the thought of what, how would I feel if I was still on the sidelines? And how would, how would I feel if I had to sort of like keep sort of being semi-public, but trying to avoid never ever speaking about this? <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how would I feel? Or would I be feeling like a massive hypocrite by now? Yeah, I think I, I think I would have been... Uh, yeah I, so, I couldn't I couldn't have stayed out of this conversation I don't think I just I'm not it wouldn't be in my nature to have it was just bugging me all the time for like a year or more before you know everything happened I I, I wanted to to share articles and you know talk to people about it and it, it just felt like it was impossible to do that it felt terrifying actually I can remember when Laura Dodsworth did her article about detransitioners and she sort of sent it to me and I was like I don't know if I should share it on my Twitter I'm really scared about what will happen and I'm so glad I don't have to feel like that anymore because I just I mean although sometimes I do, I do still uh not share things just because I think oh I you know I don't want to sort of draw yeah. it, you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah not exactly. today <laughs> exactly exactly I don't want to look like I'm living on Twitter I've got other things to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was that as well yeah <laughs> I, I mean I remember like um when when JK Rowling wrote her essay which was just so extraordinary and it summed up so many of the things I've been thinking about because I was working on my solo at the time all about my experiences as a woman and my body and things that had happened to me that people wouldn't know like my first autobiographical work and I literally just liked it went to the kitchen, put on a cup, uh, the kettle for a cup of tea. By the time I came back to the living room, opened my phone again, I'd already had, and this was on my own personal, not my company Twitter, but my own personal Rosie K Twitter account, like 20 people from the arts world pile on me. And really? that sense of like fear. And my husband was just like, just delete it, just delete it, just delete it. And I ended up deleting the account not long afterwards. And I was like, what what on earth is going on? That's really weird. What's there was all these things like is this the official opinion of Rosie K Don's company? I was kind of like this is so mad, like 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 sort of zombies, like just sort of blocking around, and 
and I think even even after that experience, then when I sort of came out, you know, when everything had to go had to go public at the end of last year, I had I do know so many amazing people in the theatre and the dance and the arts world, like so many amazing, but there is a large chunk that is fanatical about this. Yeah. I don't know about your profession, you know, if they're fanatical, they're fanatical. Yes, I think so. Well, I think a lot of people have kind of painted themselves into a corner with it as well, haven't they? They kind of got to stick to it now. Um, but uh, it, it's 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 it is ever evolving though. Um, I'm aware that we're we're yeah. nearly out of time, so I was going to ask you really. You know, do you feel optimistic? Do you feel that things are going? You know, how do you think this is going to go? Um, personally, I, I think one of the things that's sort of starting to come through this is going to sound a bit weird, but through the pain, through the sh- suffering you've got to kind of work on like taking yourself to like a higher place which I don't I don't even know how to make sense of that but I'm starting to see and feel glimpses and that takes quite a lot of work but I, I do think I think you've got to you've got to kind of not go mad haven't you you've got to you've got to work on that yeah I think in the practical and the day-to-day it's 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 tough but I'm it's I think it's the thing about going higher it's like actually instead of like just constantly like I don't know, I'm such a hustler. I'm actually, it's who comes to me. I'm really noticing like good people and like good opportunities. And I can't just be the motor of my own life now. It, it, it's different. It's bigger than that now. And I've got to kind of see the positive in that. But it takes a bit of care. It takes a bit of self-care. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think it, the self-care thing is really important. Um, and definitely um, just, you know, just connecting to the real world as much as possible as well. I think that everybody needs to do that more. Um, nature, you know, being outdoors, being with family, all of those sort of old fashioned things and uh, not getting too roped into social media. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for asking me. We should continue this. I think there's a lot more to say. There is a lot more to say. It's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. You're so insightful and it's so great to have you as a friend as well because, you know, it, I think supports women need to support each other, don't they? Yeah, we'll keep going and yeah, well we've got still we've got stuff to do, we've got stuff to say, we've got a mission. We definitely will keep going and we definitely won't be silenced. Thanks for listening to the Book Forge. You can find out more about me, my existing three non-fiction books, and my progress on Book Four via my Substack, The Book Forge. Just go to thebookforge.substack.com. You can subscribe for free. But if you want to support my work and get access to every single post, please consider a paid subscription.